0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning and welcome. We are so glad. I'm so glad all of you are here today. And I just want to say a heartfelt thank you to the First Colony Church. I I know I haven't had a chance to meet all of you yet. I've had a chance to meet many of you. And I want you to know um, our family is just so grateful for the way that you have already welcomed us with open arms. Your hospitality has been off the chart. And what I think is just beautiful about that is I know that isn't just our story. That's, that's the story of so many of you who have found your way to this church and you've realized this church is more than just a church. This church really is striving to be a family of faith here in this place. And, uh, and if it's your first Sunday here, guess what? It's ours too. So we can we can begin this journey together. Hey, I really am uh, excited to be here and so thankful for all of you. O- on our way here, everybody kept asking, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? What, you know, what's going to be happening? And I would begin to tell them about this church and I would tell them, you know, I- I'm excited. I'm going to be the-, the new senior minister at-, at the First Colony Church of Christ. And then it dawned on me, I-, I better not say that because as soon as I say I'm the new senior minister, that means Ronnie's the old one. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get caught calling Ronnie old. So we're going to go with next senior minister. Charlie worded that well. Thank you, Charlie. Um, co-senior minister, so grateful for this opportunity to serve along Ronnie's side. He was loved and led this church for so many years, so faithfully. Uh, what a blessing. Um, so excited. Yeah, thank you. Let's thank you. Yeah. I want you to know I'm honored and humbled to, to get to serve by his side in and, and the days and weeks and months and years ahead. And what a blessing it is to serve by the, the whole staff here at First Colony. I know you know this, but God has assembled a dream team here, just an incredible group of talented people that love each other, love God, love all of you, and are striving together. And, and what, what a beautiful thing it is just to be able to step into this moment with all of you, and we are so thankful. And it's our hope that we really can. Uh, come alongside you as we gather in this place to worship Jesus every week, as we seek together to, to grow as disciples of Jesus, and as we prepare to go into this neighborhood, into the community around us, into the world around us, and, and share this good news of the great love of God that's been revealed in Jesus. What a, what a tremendous blessing that is. Today, as we begin, I, I really want to begin with this, this series that we're going to start today called If We Believe, and I want to begin this way. What I really want to do is I want to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. I I first learned this lesson from my father. I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, and one of the things that I love to do with my dad, we we love to go fishing together and don't get any like wrong ideas i'm not saying we were good at it we just like to do it we like to get out on the water together and go fishing together and if you've ever done that even if even if you haven't you know what this is like uh, if you go you get out on the lake and you get out to the water and you start to get a bite you get kind of excited and all of a sudden that would happen for us we'd get somewhere we'd find a good spot and sure enough we'd catch a fish we'd catch two fish if that happens what you should do just in case you didn't know this Go ahead and drop anchor because you want to stay right there for a minute. We would always forget that step. We would get so excited that we were catching fish that we would just keep baiting the hook and throwing it back in there and trying to catch more fish. And and, and the problem with that is is you're catching fish, what you don't realize is the boat is still moving, you're drifting. And here's what you need to know You, you never drift to where you want to be. I got this thing, maybe you got this thing, I got this thing. I don't like spiders. I don't like spider webs. Like, I I don't like it at all. And sure enough, I'm sitting on the the front of the boat. My dad's at the back of the boat. He's doing what dads do. He's driving the boat. And we will be drifting right into the bank and going right into some dead tree full of spiders and spider webs. And I, I am about to walk on water. I can't. It's driving me crazy. And I don't know if dad couldn't back the boat up fast enough or he just enjoyed watching me squirm. I don't know. But here's what I learned. You never drift to where you want to be. But make sure you learn this. Your direction always, your direction always, always, always determines your destination. It was July 20th, 1969. Some of you are old enough to remember this. Some of you, you remember hearing this on the radio. Maybe you were watching it on TV. The rest of us, uh, we saw it on YouTube or maybe you've uh, seen a movie about this. But you remember that moment? Neil Armstrong is in outer space with his crew, and they're in Apollo 11, and they're attempting to land on the moon for the very first time. I want, you, I want you to listen to a clip of this audio. This is original. got this off the NASA website. This dialogue between Neil Armstrong, Apollo 11, and the command center here in Houston. Lean in and listen to this. <laughs> 60 seconds. Lights on. Lights. Down two and a half. Forward. Forward. At 30 feet down two and a half. Picking up some dust. 30 feet two and a half down. Great shadow. Four forward. Four forward. Drift into the right a little. Lights. Nine and a half. 30 seconds. Forward, just. That's. Hey. Contact right. Okay, engine stop. Briston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. Did you hear that? When, when he said, Houston, Tranquility Base here, the eagle has landed. Everybody here in Houston, everybody around the world was able to breathe again. Why? Right before that, if you were listening close, you might have heard him say, we're drifting to the right a little. But because they were able to course correct, because they were able to to get back on course, they were able to reach their destination. And as soon as they did that, as soon as they stopped drifting and they were able to land on the moon, everybody could catch their collective breath. Because they had reached their destination. Your direction always determines your destination but you know like i know nasa they, they didn't accomplish that without an incredible amount of preparation and planning Everybody, every scientist that was assigned to this mission, every astronaut that was involved, everybody did their homework. Everybody did their part. They were beginning with the end in mind. They knew where they wanted to go. They knew the destination, and they did everything they could to be able to make sure they were headed in that direction, pulling in the same direction together to get there. But you know what this is like. We we all do this on one level or another. I don't even go to lunch without first putting the address in my GPS, and that's not just because I'm new here. Like, I get lost anyway. And, and even if I did, and I'd want to know the best way to beat traffic, right? Like, like, we know how this works. None of us set out on a journey without first having an idea of where we want to go. But how many of us, how many of you, how many of you know people who right now are just so frustrated, so confused? They're living their life and they're just so full of fear like you can see it and maybe you felt this but there's like this this anger that's just sitting there right below the surface and they don't even know why but you know why they don't know why they can't see it but the truth is the reality is they're drifting they never took time. They never thought about it. Or maybe they simply just didn't want to take a moment to, to decide where they wanted to go. And so because they don't have that direction, that destination in mind, they're not really heading in any direction. They're heading in every direction. And it's leading them into a life that is filled with frustration. You've been there. you felt that. I mean, your marriage, it's not, it's not going the way you thought it was, it was supposed to. Your kids aren't turning out the way you hoped. Your work isn't working out. You're not even sure where you are with God this morning. And you wonder why. Like, why is life always so hard? Why does it feel like nothing is going the way I I think it's supposed to go? You're drifting and you're just hoping you're going to end up in a good spot, a good situation, a good place. But the reality is you never, ever drift to where you want to. To go, Your direction always determines your destination. And watch this, when you begin with the end in mind, your destination determines your direction. And if that's you, if that's ever been you, if that's somebody that you love, I want to share some good news with you. Like, you don't have to live your life full of this frustration. I've got good news for you, because in the beginning, God had the end in mind for you. In fact, I would suggest before time began, God had the end in mind for you and for me. If you have your Bible, I would love to invite you to open up this morning. If you have your scriptures to the Gospel of Luke, and if it's your first time here, if it's your first time joining us online Open the New Testament, you go to Matthew, Mark, you get to Luke. Luke is a good news story, a gospel story about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And Luke is the author of this story. Here's what you need to know about Luke. He was a doctor. He was a missionary. He was one of the first followers of Jesus. And, and I love the gospel of Luke because here's what Luke did. He decided to talk to as many, as many eyewitnesses to the life and the ministry of Jesus as he could find. He wanted to, he wanted to meet people and talk to people who, who saw what Jesus did, who heard what Jesus said. He took these collection of stories and he put them all together so that people just like you and me could read, could read about this man called Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Luke's goal with that was for people like you and me to come to faith in Jesus of Nazareth as Jesus, God's Messiah. And, and I love Luke's gospel. He talked to as many eyewitnesses as he could find, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. So his sources check out. And I want to share this story with you that Luke shares at the end of his gospel, Luke chapter 24. So we're coming to the end of the story at least this part of the story. And at this moment, Jesus has already died. He's already been buried for three days in a borrowed tomb, and now it's Sunday morning, and Jesus has risen. But here's the thing, not everybody knows that yet. In fact, the story is about two of his disciples, two of his followers, and they're on a journey, a seven-mile journey, a road trip from Jerusalem to this town called Emmaus. And I want you to hear what Luke says happens next. Luke chapter 24, I'll begin in verse 14. This is from the New Living Translation. Luke writes, As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came, su- suddenly came and began walking with them. But God, watch this, God kept them from recognizing him. Just imagine this moment. It's Sunday morning. These disciples, they're, they're a little discouraged. They're leaving Jerusalem because they don't know what else to do. They've been following this man named Jesus, but he's dead. Things have not worked out like they thought they would. They're afraid. They're confused. They're entering into a season of doubt and uncertainty. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he's walking with them, but they don't know it's Jesus. Did you know you could be walking through a season of doubt, fear, uncertainty, confusion. And Jesus could be walking with you even if you don't know Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is walking with these disciples. They don't know it's Jesus. verse 17, Jesus asked them this question. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Well, they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. These guys are sad, they're discouraged, they're down. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must, you must literally be the only person in all of Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there over the last few days. Like everybody knows what's happened. How do you not know what's happened? And then Jesus asked them this question, verse 19. He says, what things Jesus knew what things. What, why is Jesus asking the question, what things? Like, he, Jesus knows exactly what they're talking about. Why is he asked this question? If you follow the ministry of Jesus, what you, what you find out pretty quick is that Jesus, Jesus is going to ask a lot of people a lot of different questions. And it's not because Jesus is trying to learn anything new. He's not trying to gain some new insight or information from the people he's asking these questions of. He's not asking for his benefit uh, at all. He's asking for their benefit. You see, Jesus, he doesn't want anything from these two disciples. He wants something for them. He already knows what things. But he asks the question because he wants them to answer so so that he can open their eyes to help them see things that they couldn't possibly see. So they could know things they couldn't possibly know. So they could understand something that they could not possibly understand without him. He asked, what things And they said the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. You see, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priest and other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. They had him killed. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened just three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were, they were at his tomb early this morning. Remember, it's Sunday morning. And they came back with this amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and Sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. So they know, here's what they know. They know that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. His body is missing. And at this point, that's what they believe. But they're not really sure what happened. They know the report. Some friends of ours, they've been to the tomb. His body's not there. And angels have said that he is risen. But you got to think, that's really hard to believe. I mean, if you weren't there, if you didn't see that with your own eyes, if you didn't hear them with your own ears, that's really hard hard to believe because nobody comes back from crucifixion. Nobody. When you die on a Roman cross, you are dead. Nobody comes back from a Roman crucifixion. It's hard for us to imagine That if you were to live in that first century world, it would not be uncommon for you to see living in an uh, an area that was controlled by the Roman Empire to walk those Roman roads and see them lined with Roman crosses. Their motto during that time period was Pax Romana, Roman peace. But that was peace through violence or at least peace through the threat of violence. And everybody understood, everybody knew you don't go up Against Rome. You don't cross a Roman soldier. Yeah, they kept peace, but it was always through violence, or at least the threat of violence. And the Romans were expert executioners. And they all knew nobody comes back from a crucifixion. So you really can't follow these two disciples. They didn't know what to believe. They know his body's missing and they know the report, but they're not sure what to believe. They're walking with Jesus. They don't know they're walking with Jesus, but Jesus says this. He says, You foolish people, verse 25. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted? Like, you know this. You know your Bible. You know your scripture. You know what the prophet said. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering his glory? Then look at what Jesus did. Jesus in his grace. Jesus in his love. Jesus in his mercy. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets. And this is what he did. He explained from all the scriptures all the things concerning himself. Did you catch that? Jesus, on this seven-mile road trip, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, takes them through the entirety of what you and I call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. These are their scriptures up to this point. And he shows them all the places. Every moment, every time where scripture points to what was going to happen, points to himself himself. How all throughout the pages of Scripture, all throughout history, his story, God's story, it was all pointing to this exact moment. Well, by this time, verse 28, they're nearing Emmaus. They've walked about seven miles together, and they're at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, would you please just just stay the night with us since it's getting late? And so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat... Jesus took the bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it, and he gave it to them. This is what we just did. When he did did that, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Don't miss this. As soon as Jesus breaks the bread, as soon as they break bread with Jesus, their eyes are opened. As soon as they break bread with Jesus, everything changes. As soon as they break bread with Jesus, they're no longer living in this uncertainty. They're no longer living in fear. They no longer have any doubt. They are no longer living without hope. In that moment, they know that this is true. Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, I am convinced. This is one of the reasons, there's many, this is one of the reasons Jesus wants his church every time we gather as often as we can to practice communion together, to break this bread together. Because whenever we do, our eyes are open to see things we couldn't possibly see without him, to know things we couldn't possibly understand without him, to be reminded of our hope and to remember that Jesus is alive. They break bread with Jesus. Their eyes are opened. And now they know Jesus is alive and Jesus is with us. Verse 32, and they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, watch this, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the the others who had gathered, gathered with them. Who said, "The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. The Lord has really risen." And because they believed that, everything changed. Now they're filled with passion and a purpose. Now they have direction and a destination. Now they're no longer living in fear, doubt, uncertainty, confusion. Now now they know there is hope and that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, and Jesus is alive. And because they believed that, absolutely everything changed for them forever because they believed. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that that Jesus is alive? Because if you do, that fact changes absolutely everything for you. It was April twelfth, two 2004, when this question was on the cover of Time magazine. Why did Jesus have to die? And in that issue, there was a 10-page article trying to answer that question. In one sense, that's the same question that these disciples walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus were trying to answer. Why did Jesus have to die? There's a sense in which that's the question that people have been trying to answer for some 2,000 years. Why did Jesus have to die? And my guess is, if you ask the average person. If you ask the average Christian person, you'll get an answer that sounds something like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was the Garden of Eden, and there was Adam and Eve. And then Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, sin entered into the story. And so God had had to come up with a plan to save everybody so that we could all go to heaven one day when we die. I don't know about you, that's, that's more or less the version of the gospel story I heard growing up and what I believed for a long time. But you know, the problem with that version of the gospel story is that it, it suggests at least on one level, doesn't it? That somewhere along the way, perfection was the expectation. And because Adam and Eve were unable to live perfect lives, because you and I were unable to live perfect lives, God had to come up with a plan to save us so that when we die, we can go to heaven to be with him forever. And that's some of, that for some of you. Let's just get real honest for a minute. For some of you, that's the reason that you constantly feel like a failure. Like you always feel like you, you're not good enough. Because you know you're not perfect. You know that you have let people down, people you love, you have let down. And you know you've let God down more times than you can count. And you're here this morning, and it was all you could do to walk through that door. And the last thing you want to hear is somebody standing on this stage telling you, you got to do better you felt like a failure your whole life because somewhere along the way you believed the lie that perfection was the expectation. But can we get real honest for a minute? Nobody's perfect. Everybody struggles. Only one person has ever lived a perfect life and his name is Jesus. So what if? What if perfection has never been the expectation. What if in the beginning, what if in the beginning God had the end in mind for you and for me? What if what happened at the cross is about more than just you going to heaven one day when you die? What if what God has in mind for you and me is about something bigger, something better, something more. A few years after that walk to Emmaus, there was another follower of Jesus, a man by the name of Paul who had come to faith. And he wrote a letter to another group of Christians, first century Christians, who lived in the ancient city of Ephesus. And I want you to hear just one thing the Apostle Paul once said. If you have your your Bibles open, go ahead and turn the page, a couple of pages, over to Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to hear something Paul wrote. I think this is amazing. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes this to a group of Christians just like you and me. He said, here's what I want you to know. Even before He made the world. God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and watch this, and it gave him great pleasure. Did you know? Did you know that before God made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. Did you know that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus die? This is why. Because Jesus wanted to restore, God wanted to restore relationship between himself and humanity. Why did Jesus die? Because Jesus wanted to walk with you and me, just like he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, just like he walked on that road from Jerusalem all the way to Emmaus. Why did Jesus die? Because he wanted us to know that he is with us on whatever road we're walking on. And if you believe that this is true, if you believe that Jesus is alive, this changes everything. If we believe, church, what we say we believe, it changes absolutely everything for us. God is with us, Jesus is alive, and our hope is eternal. And this morning, As we begin today i want to begin with this i want to begin with the end in mind and i want you to know before time began god had a plan for you and for me what's the plan he wants to walk with you he wants to walk with you whatever you're going through whatever's going on in your heart whatever's going on in your life whatever's going on in your marriage Whatever's going on with your kids, whatever's going on in your work, I want you to know, even if you don't know he's walking with you, Jesus is walking with you. This is our hope, and this is our promise. Church, if you would, I want to ask you to stand with me, and I want to pray for you. But before I do, I want to ask you one last question. Here's the question. What will change because we believe? Those disciples who walked with Jesus from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they believed, and absolutely everything changed forever for them. Those first followers of Jesus, they believed he was alive, and it changed everything forever for them. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's because they believed that we are here today. So I just wonder, who's going to be here next Sunday? Who's going to be here next month, next year? Who's going to be here five years from now? Who's going to be here ten years from now? Who's going to be here a hundred years from now because we believed? You see, this faith that we hold on to, it's not just about you. And it's not just about me. It's about all those that Jesus died to save and we can have an impact far greater than we could possibly know if we choose to believe. If you would, let's pray together. Father, this is my prayer. This is our prayer this morning. Father, we, we confess that we believe in you. And at the same time, we pray, help us believe. Father, give us faith. Remind us when we're on our, on our own road from Jerusalem to Emmaus when we're walking through our own uncertainties and doubts and fears and confusions the God you are right there with us Jesus is alive yes he came he loved he lived he died he rose again and now he is seated at the right hand of the father and father this is our faith this is our confession this is our belief And it's our prayer that that belief, that faith in you would change everything for us, that you would remind us over and over and over again of our hope and our promise. And what's more, help us share that hope and that promise with those around us. This is our prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.